pennies, nickels, and dimes onto your monthly contribution. However you do it, we love to have you. It's your involvement that makes it happen. You are the you in community, my friends. Thank you for your involvement and for your support. Check out these important announcements from in and around your community, followed by Madness Radio. Stay tuned. KBU Community Radio holds an open meeting concerning the operations and programming of KBU in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is available by calling the station at 503-231-8032. Meetings will be conducted at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, unless otherwise noted. The Program Advisory Committee meets the second Tuesday of each month at 6 p.m. Please call 503-231-8032 to verify if a meeting is being held. KBU is hiring. We're currently accepting applications for our volunteer and outreach coordinator position. We're looking for someone with experience in volunteer management and outreach to diverse communities and preferably has experience with nonprofits. This is a full-time position. For the full job description and instructions on how to apply, see the job listing on our website at kboo.fm employment. Applications are due Saturday, March 22nd by 5 p.m. KBU is an equal opportunity and affirmative action employer. What does it mean to be called crazy in a crazy world? Listen to Madness Radio, Voices and Visions from Outside Mental Health, sponsored by peer-run support communities, Freedom Center, The Icarus Project, and Portland Hearing Voices. Madness Radio can be heard on FM stations on the Pacifica Radio Network and is online at kboo.fm slash madnessradio. For seven years and more than 125 shows, Madness Radio has been bringing unique voices and visions to community radio. Now Madness Radio needs your help. Go to madnessradio.net and join our Kickstarter fundraising campaign. Our goal is to raise money for more Madness Radio shows and also for producing a Madness Radio book based on the interviews that we've done over the past six years of Madness Radio. So please check out www.madnessradio.net and get involved with our Kickstarter fundraising campaign. Thanks for joining us today on Madness Radio. This is your host, Will Hall. So today we're going to be talking with Susan McKeown. Susan is a Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter. Her family has been affected by extreme states intergenerational trauma. She's of Irish ancestry, and her recent album is Singing in the Dark, which focuses on the poetry of madness. It's musical renditions of poets who've written poems about their own struggles with madness. So thank you for joining us today on Madness Radio, Susan McKeown. Thanks for having me, Will. Lovely to talk with you again. Yeah, and I've been wanting to have you on the show for quite a while. You and I actually did a little bit of touring in uh, Ireland with your album Singing in the Dark. That was fun. Yeah, it was great to meet people and to be there. And and you're not only a uh, very moving singer and, and songwriter, but you're also someone who knows a great deal about Irish lore and history. You're somewhat of a cultural historian. So your performances you know, bring together the music and also the stories behind the songs. 
and we're going to be hearing some of the songs and some of your work today. Tell us a little bit about this this album that you have, Singing in the Dark, which is really a, amazing. It, it's based on musical renditions of poems about madness, and your interest in it came from your own family experience of extreme states? Yeah, it did, actually. That's probably a good place to start. I was in, in a relationship with someone who started to go into a very deep depression and go through behavioral changes that really were shocking to me. So a lot of different things changed within me. I started with them trying to look for help and that's what led to my wanting to educate myself about mental health. And that took a while because the search for help went down the traditional routes and we didn't really find help for quite some time. But on another level, it led me to question within my own family uh, certain events or messages that had come through the family. And I guess when I was growing up, and uh, the group of teenagers, I'd been with a very close-knit group of teenagers. I was angry at, you know, the mainstream discourse about mental health and the amount of glossy ads I could see for from the pharmacological industry. Uh, you know, it was irritating to me that there wasn't um, any other kind of discourse on a, on what I felt was a deeper level to do with us as human beings that was kind of harder to access so that's what led me to make the record and to want to learn more about it educate myself more about contemporary approaches but the teen group the group as teenagers that i had grown up with there was a, a brother and sister whose father died by suicide then when we were in our 20s and another two from the group uh, one uh, murdered the other when we were in our 30s and these events were so shocking to us all and I felt what if there had been open conversation when we were teenagers what if we had discussed the possibilities of the thoughts that were in our heads and, and felt safe doing that what if we'd had discussions about the secrets that came back in that way in our 20s and 30s so I've really developed a great interest in education and talking about things that weren't talked about in my own family when I was growing up and also in the connection between a cultural identity and mental health. So when these tragedies happened, either you didn't really talk about it. I mean, you're like most communities, they just become overwhelming tragedies that, that everyone is kind of in shock about and then sort of buries under kind of the more formalities of, of grieving and response and and but really getting into what happened and talking about people's feelings and thoughts and all the different considerations about it, uh, that didn't happen. Exactly. And what's interesting about that is that in some of the work I do, because I also have been recording albums of traditional Irish music for, for years, um, there's a particular ritual that occurred in Ireland, which was wiped out by edicts from the Catholic Church sent down to parish priests from the 14th and 15th centuries to wipe out the process called keening. And I know your listeners will know the word keening, but a lot of people might not know that it comes from a Gaelic word, kina, to cry, to grieve. And it was a very funny and a formalized ritual where people could let down for three days, you might have heard of the Irish wake, and there's various stereotypical associations with it in recent centuries. But for centuries before that, it was a time when people conducted particular games. There was uh, opportunities to celebrate the person's life as well as to grieve. And you could cry and mourn. And it was also an opportunity for people to express 
other things that might have been coming up in a social context um, in recent history. So there's various examples of these keens, which was an oral composition. It was orally done by women, but examples were written down from the late 1700s and throughout the 1800s where women spoke out about other injustices like domestic violence that they had witnessed within the community. And at this time when somebody had died, it was felt to be a safe place where they could express this and nothing could be said against them. And also going on were people grieving the dead person, banging on the boards of the coffin, tearing their hair, gathering together. There's various examples of people trying to describe the lament of the keen as kind of an otherworldly sound coming from these women who, as young girls, had watched the older women keening and learned the art from them. So it's very interesting. I've been having discussions recently with other singers because these were things we weren't taught at school either, but there's a greater knowledge coming now. People are doing a lot more research into these things that we didn't have access to, but we want to claim because they are our own. And this is, Susan, why I'm, I'm so supportive of your work and have, I'm really happy to have you on Madness Radio because you're basically addressing mental health issues, extreme states, madness, suicide from a completely non-medical perspective. You are responding in a way which is about the community and about arts and around culture that I think is actually the direction that we need to go. And I think there's a continuity between the way in which society says, okay, this is biological, this is about medications, it's about getting treated by a doctor. There's a continuity between that and the way in which historically certain kinds of truths, certain kinds of voices, certain kinds of practices, certain kinds of community expressions have been suppressed. It's just too dangerous to let women be leading these rituals. It's too dangerous for people to speak up about domestic violence or to say the truth of what might have been involved with this um, suicide because it may have been related to incest or sexual abuse. That is politically very dangerous and something we talked about quite a bit on Madness Radio is that the way in which medicalizing problems takes the attention away from very real social, political, historical, cultural questions, including oppression. And I know that's been really huge in the Irish and both in Irish immigrants in the United States and Irish in Ireland, that the connections between that oppression and the way in which mental health issues have been expressed or been responded to. One day I, I just started to think about, well, why are the Irish so famous? Why is probably each one of your listeners able to name an Irish musician and able to name an Irish writer and perhaps one who has won the Nobel Prize for Literature? Why are we outstanding in levels of creativity? And we're known to be storytellers and jokers and singers. And we have this history of trauma that goes back hundreds of years. And we're known for that too. The work that was done to wipe out Keening uh, by the church, I now I feel I can see the effects of that today within families, within relationships between men and women. Within my own family, I suppose what happened, um, my mother died when we were all aged between 15 and 23. And within six months, most of my siblings had moved out and I lived with my dad effectively for the next six years. And what struck me was we didn't have any tools to deal with that. And uh, so just on my own personal level, um, that event was shocking because there was no family sit down to talk about it, you know. 
And so because I'm a singer, an artist, and I always want to talk about these things, there wasn't really a space where everybody was comfortable doing that. And of course, everybody was in pain. And so a lot of my drive today might be connected to that, you know. Well, you've done an incredible thing with um, creating this uh, the CD, Singing in the Dark, which I really encourage people to check out. Why don't we listen to just a clip, an excerpt from one of the songs? Do you want to set it up for us? Sure. Um, one of my favorite poems um, is from Theodore Ruska, who was from Michigan, and he was the son of German immigrants. And it's an incredible poem. He was 15 when his father died and his uncle died by suicide. And his father and uncle had been market gardeners and done quite well in their town in Saginaw. And so Theodore had grown up in these giant greenhouses and the influence of nature in his poetry is, is right there. It's such a beautiful poem connecting his suffering with nature in an incredibly hopeful way. And what is the title of the poem? In a Dark Time. What's madness But nobility of soul At odds with circumstance The day is on fire I know the purity of pure despair One of my favorite lines from that poem just is devastating, and it goes... What's madness but nobility of soul at odds with circumstance? <laughs> That's like a it's like a koan for discovering who you are and what what those states meant. So, and let's go to another clip from your album. Another one I love. Um, I love them all, but uh, this one is a woman like that. It's the poem "Her Kind" by Anne Sexton, and I found it interesting that. It was when Anne Sexton started going to therapy. I think she'd had a second breakdown when she was about 27. And her therapist recommended she start writing poetry. And that was why she started writing poetry. And she's one of the greatest poets the United States has produced and won numerous awards, including the Pulitzer Prize. Yes, very powerful. A different kind of quality to that poem, or at least your rendition of it, is a defiance in there as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's beautiful um, footage on YouTube of Anne reciting that poem right into the camera in a very seductive, a very provocative way. And there's something in it that we all long for, to be able to be so bold as to really express ourselves. You've been listening to an interview with Susan McKeown. Susan is a Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter whose family has been affected by extreme states and intergenerational trauma. Her recent album, Singing in the Dark, is musical renditions of poems written by poets struggling with madness. You're listening to KBOO 90.7 FM, Portland, Oregon. And we should thank Anne and apparently also thank her therapist, at least a little bit, <laughs> for having encouraged her client to, to do that as a therapeutic practice. I think that it's really true that art and creativity 
are absolutely therapeutic. But do you think that it's also true that sometimes it might be smart to not be artistic or not write poems or not be creative? Do you ever feel like there are times when you need to stay away from your creativity to kind of help your own mental wellness? I haven't experienced that myself. I've always felt sometimes there's a time to put it out in the world and there's a time to just express it yourself and, and be writing. I always feel when something's coming and it feels like it's coming from outside myself, but it's my call to pick up on it and put it down on paper or pick up the guitar and start finding out what it is and discovering it uh, because it's going to be something key to my own journey of self-discovery. Um, that's always been fruitful for me, I'm so happy to say. I know for me sometimes the creative process is very, very connected to the inner critic process that I can become blocked or shame myself or judge myself for not doing it right or not doing it well enough or not being able to do it at all. And sometimes I do want to just step back from all of it, but it's really not the creativity it's more the, the process of judgment and self-sabotage that comes along with it. That's really interesting. You know, um, I don't know if you saw that uh, documentary about the um, architect Frank Gehry. And in the first moment or two, um, it opens in darkness. And then I think it cuts to him sketching on a pad. But he's talking about the moment when you have to begin a work. You have to begin letting the creativity flow and how difficult it is to just let that flow because you get in the way. All these voices come to tell you you're not good enough and you've got to tidy up your office. And he says he always starts tidying up his office and seeing all these other things he has to do rather than actually be about the work and just sitting with it and let it in. So it's about trying to find the voice that's, <laughs> as Theodore Rothko would say, which I is I, that just lets you get out of your way. You said something, Susan, that, that many creative people say, that the creative act, the voice or the image or the song or whatever it is is coming through you from somewhere else and you need to let it come through you. What What do you make of that? Because so many people do experience that inspiration and I know I experienced it in, in my work not just creative work but also just writing and doing work community work the idea that something is coming through you how do you explain that it's not something I can explain <laughs> but it connects to you know some of the the most profound experiences I've ever had in my life uh, like the moment of being present when my father departed this earth and the moment when I gave birth to my daughter and the energy that was present was something I could not explain. And I feel that way when I feel so privileged to have had this experience of something flow through my hands or through my voice and uh, just feel privileged and gifted. And it's probably a good segue into the next song, maybe if you'd like to do another piece of music. And it's from an Irish poet, James Clarence Mangan. And it's a pretty dark poem that he wrote in 1849, the year before his death. He was born in Dublin in 1803, and he may never have left Dublin. And it's interesting to note that he died during one of the worst years of the Irish famine. And when he died, his causes of death were related to alcoholism and malnutrition. And yet he was one of our greatest poets. And about him, Yeats said, to the soul of Clarence Mangan, 
was tied the burning ribbon of genius. So in this really dark poem, which is very autobiographical about his struggle, he has this first verse, which I turned into the chorus, which connects with what we've just been talking about. And the chorus is, roll forth my song like the rushing river that sweeps along to the mighty sea. God will inspire me while I deliver my soul of thee. And tell how this nameless Condemned for years long To herd with demons from hell beneath Saw things that made him with groans and tears Long for even death Go on to tell how With genius wasted Betrayed in friendship Befooled in love With spirit shipwrecked Very powerful and very dark and intense poem. And also what you were saying before, Susan, about him writing during the era of the Irish famine also reminds me a little bit about the connection between us because you and I were sort of brought together by the hand of fate synchronistically in some ways. We sort of found each other and then I ended up doing a few um, speaking engagements at your concerts in Ireland, which is a great opportunity. And one of the things that I talk about is that it's an opportunity for me to connect with some of my ancestry too because my mom is mixed race Choctaw Indian and the Choctaw tribe played an important role in famine relief in supporting the Irish during the famine and so there's that historical legacy of a connection that we have in in our ancestry that I really like. It's so interesting the story of how the Choctaw collected monies to send to the Irish who were suffering because of the famine. And they recognized what was happening immediately because of their own experience. And in many ways today, I think we still in Ireland haven't completely dealt with all of the traumatic events of the famine even today. But we're we're continually telling and learning more stories about what happened at that time. Because I think that is a way of understanding the experience of the Irish is of an indigenous people that was displaced by colonialism. Yes. So let's listen to one more song from your album, Singing in the Dark. Thanks. This is um, a poem I came across because the documentary filmmaker Anne Makepeace, who has made a number of films about Native Americans. In fact, her latest one has to do with language. She told me about a Welsh poet who's named Gwyneth Lewis, who's a contemporary poet who was a fellow at Stanford in 2010 when I discovered her. And she has written numerous books and plays. And one of her first books of poetry uh, was subtitled A Cheerful Book on Depression and won numerous awards in the United Kingdom. And the poem that I chose to set to music of hers is called Angel of Depression. If it's okay with you, Will, I'll read you the poem before you hear the song. Absolutely. Why would an angel choose to come here if it weren't important? into stuffy rooms smelling of cabbage, into the tedium of time which weighs like gravity on any messenger used to more freedom and who has to wear a dingy costume so as not to scare the humans. Wouldn't even an angel despair? Oh yes, I'm broken, but my limp is the best part of me and the way I hurt. Don't say it's an honor to have fought with depression's angel. It always wears the face of my loved ones, 
as it tears the breath from my solar plexus, grinds my face in the ever-resilient dirt. Oh yes, I'm broken, but my limp is the best part of me and the way I hurt. Oh yes, I'm broken, but my limp is the best Beautiful. It's such a beautiful image that, yes, I, I have been injured. I have been wounded. I don't quite have all of me here in the same way. And yet, at the same time, that's something that I celebrate because it's actually given me very, very positive things. Yes. And also to add for your listeners that there is YouTube footage of Gwyneth available where she talks about, about her work and the sense of permissiveness in moving to the United States. Uh, that came to her about her work and she started out writing in Welsh. We have a little bit of time. Should we listen to one more poem? There's a poem called Crazy Woman by Gwendolyn Brooks. Do you want to introduce that one? I'd love to. You know, I don't know a lot about Gwendolyn Brooks' personal life, but when I came across this poem, I just thought it was so beautiful and so simple about having a different wish and going against what the norm is, that it it appealed to me greatly. And she has such a beautiful way with language. Uh, She was a poet from Chicago and she was encouraged by her parents. They must have spotted her talent early because as a teenager, one of her parents brought her to meet the poet Langston Hughes, who encouraged her to start trying to get published. I think she was about 17. And she was born in 1917. And she ended up becoming the first African-American to win the Pulitzer Prize. So this is her poem, The Crazy Woman. And I set this one to music. I should add that I set most of the poems on the album to music. And I did invite two friends to set to music um, two of the poems that um, we heard the renditions of earlier. In a Dark Time, the music was written by Frank London and um, her kind or a woman like that. The music was written by Lisa Gutkin and they're both friends of mine who are members of the Klasmatics and wonderful composers. So I invited them to contribute to the album in that way. Something you said about Gwendolyn Brooks brings me back to the Rothka line where he says, what's madness but nobility of soul at odds with circumstance. And that I think is a very interesting way of understanding extreme states and madness and and suicide and depression as as a kind of resistance, as a kind of rebellion. And I know that that gets into tricky territory because we don't want to romanticize these experiences that are so, so much suffering is associated with them. But there's a way in which conflict and often conflict with the situation that you're in, conflict with an oppressive society or an oppressive relationship or an oppressive family drives us crazy and do you think that that's that's a thread that you've seen in the poetry you've been exploring around madness i mean that is something you see in poetry you know it makes me think of my own songwriting and my own resistance to change and that's what i address a lot in my own songwriting i think it often comes down to my own 
struggles with the way things are around me. So let's listen to your rendition of Crazy Woman by Gwendolyn Brooks. I, I shall not sing a May song A May song should be gay I'll wait until November And sing a song of gray I'll wait until November That is the time for me sing most terribly and all the little people will stare at me and say that is the crazy woman who would not sing in amazing Susan we don't have a lot of time remind people about the album that we've been um, hearing excerpts of songs from and how they can get a copy of it and get in touch with you thanks Will we've been listening to songs from my album Singing in the Dark which is available widely online and at my website which is my favorite place for people to purchase it my website location is susanmckeown.com which is spelled S-U-S-A-N-M-C K-E-O-W-N. You can order physical copies of the CD there. And if you should find it online as an MP3 download, you're welcome to write to me and we could figure out how you could uh, send me a stamped address envelope if you wanted to receive the physical liner notes booklet, which has all of the poems in it and my notes and all the credits for the all the people involved in making the album. And Susan, what's next for you? You have a new album that's out, and what's your plans for the future? Well, this it's a brand new album. It's called Belong, and these are all my own songs. It's my third album of completely original words and music, and they're all songs I've written in the last 10 years, and that's widely available and on my website. Susan McCown, thank you for joining us today on Madness Radio. Thanks for having me. That was Madness Radio. This is KBOO Portland. And I get to remind you that KBOO programming is made possible by KBOO member listeners and support from Darkside Cinema, open every night and featuring independent, foreign, and art house films. The Darkside is located at 215 Southwest 4th Street between Madison and Jefferson Avenues in Corvallis, Oregon. More information and showtimes available online at darksidecinema.com. And with that, it's time for Film at 11, because it's 10.30. Stay tuned. Okay, yes, it's Film at 11, as usual, at 10.30. This is DK Home. I'm here joined uh, together with 
uh, Rick Mitchell, friend of the show, who's here to talk about Once We're Brothers, a new documentary about uh, the band, and Mark Mohan, who writes, f- does, among other things, writes for Oregon Arts Watch. Good morning. <laughs> yeah. Just and to, to be clear, we're not exactly joined together. We, I've joined 